Good morning, everyone, and uh, first, welcome again to Alpine. We are really glad you're here, especially if you're new or visiting, maybe for the first time. We are just excited that you've come out to worship God with us, and, uh, and uh, we're going old school analog style here with no words, which I love. Back in Ethiopia, uh, where we live now, we rarely have electricity, let alone screens in church, so uh, nobody ever sings with screens there, so you just get used to it. You know, it's like, uh, like we do in Africa. It's great. So, And they go worship there for about three hours before the hour sermon starts. And so uh, it's a little different experience. But uh, man, I am so excited to be back here uh, at Alpine and in West Haven. Uh, it is really a joy to be here, uh, seeing all of these old faces and um, not that you look old, but you know, familiar faces, I should say, and new faces. Uh, it is really a joy to be here. Uh, as Joel said, I was a part of Alpine here for many, many years, uh, my wife and I. Um, and uh, it is just incredible to be back, and it's exciting to see after we've been gone now for uh, more than four years, coming back and seeing, again, a lot of people that, man, it's just so encouraging to see you here, continue to pursue God, and yet seeing new people come along as well, that is amazing, and so I am really excited and privileged to be here uh, with you today, and I love being here with Pastor Joel, who, who stepped out. I've known Joel since he was a very young man, and Joel is uh, an amazing pastor, and you guys are the most blessed campus because you have the pastor that is a Seattle Seahawks fan. And so that means that there is just more blessing from God that rains down on this campus. And so you are, you are very blessed. But man, it's exciting to see how God has brought up all of these uh, leaders. Uh, many of them I've known. I was just thinking uh, uh, Tyler, who was playing drums, and Trevor, who did the announcements. These are all guys I've known since they were like teenagers. And now seeing them all like grown up, and they have like babies, and they're like, it's amazing. So I'm starting to make me feel old. But uh, it is great to be here, and I'm excited. Uh, I, I uh, Again, I had a whole bunch of pictures I was going to show this morning, so you'll just have to imagine whatever whatever picture you have in Ethiopia in your mind. Just picture that. We'll, we'll run with that, if that's true or not. I don't know. But um, just a little quick bit about Ethiopia, because some of you are like, where is that? So um, Ethiopia is in East Africa. If you picture on the globe Africa, there's this little horn that sticks out on the side. They call it the, the Horn of Africa. Uh, that's right where Ethiopia is, right next to Somalia. Uh, and that is where we live, and we lived for the last several years. Ethiopia is a really unique and amazing country in Africa. It's, it's unique in a lot of ways. One, it's the second largest country in Africa. A lot of people don't realize that, but there's 120 million people in Ethiopia. So it's about a third the size of the U.S., so it's not some little tiny speck country. It's a significant uh, place, and it is unique in Africa because it's wedged kind of right between the Middle East and the rest of Africa, so, and it has a lot of affinity with both. So it's neighbors to the, to the one side. We have Somalia and Yemen and the Saudi Peninsula and Sudan, and then to the south, you have Kenya and these other countries, South Sudan, and so it's a really unique uh, culture in Ethiopia that doesn't really feel like any other place in Africa because it's this sort of half Middle East, half African vibe to it, and, and we just love being there. Uh, God called us there uh, many, many years ago, actually. We started feeling God's call to go to that country. It started with, some of you know, we tried to adopt a little girl from Ethiopia that ultimately hasn't ever worked out after more than a decade of trying to adopt her just for political reasons. It didn't work out. But, but God used that adoption process to draw our hearts to this country that has now become our home. And the more we have been there, the more we see the incredible needs there. Uh, I mean, there are incredible physical needs. It is a, one of the 
the poorest countries on earth, so there's incredible poverty. Um, there's all kinds of political instability going on. There's a civil war going on in Ethiopia right now. And so it's a very uh, messed up place in a lot of ways. Um, but man, God is at work there. And it's beautiful to see what God is doing. And the people there are amazing and wonderful. And we just really feel at home there. But really, our, our heart is there because there are so many people there that don't know Jesus. Uh, the country has around uh, 55 million people that represent uh, what are called unreached people groups. And that's about 30 different tribal groups among these 55 million people that have less than uh, 2% of their, their people even know the name of Jesus. There, there's no church. There's no gospel witness in these communities. And so a place with 55 million people that don't know Jesus, and that's really what draws our heart there. And so that's what we are there to do, is to try to help people there pursue God. Just like we spent many years here in, in Utah trying to help people pursue God, we're doing the same thing, but in a different context uh, in Africa, and we absolutely love being there. And so we just want to say uh, thank you to, to Alpine Church and to so many of you as individuals. You really are our partners in ministries, and we could not be there without you. We feel so blessed to have Alpine as, as our, our main sending church that's launched us out there and, and supports us so well, and we are just incredibly thankful. We're thankful for so many of you individually who are part of our, our support team as well, who pray for us, who encourage us, who donate financially. And again, we couldn't be there doing what God has called us to do uh, apart from you. And so we thank you for that. We are, we are so blessed. I want to say a special thank you to some of you. You might remember back this year at Christmas time at Missions Week. Normally we do this thing called Feed My Starving Children, where we pack bags, you know, for kids. And this year we couldn't do it because of COVID. And so, but I love that Alpine still got behind it, still raised money. And what you guys did is you sent a lot of that money over to Ethiopia because of the civil war I mentioned is going on there. There are uh, literally millions of people who are displaced from their home. They're called internally displaced people, which means they've been run out of their home, out of their community because of the fight in the war and are basically homeless. And so we were able to take uh, thousands of dollars from Alpine Church and go into this war zone and be a part of doing uh, distribution of food and of, of, of basic supplies. We, we created these little plastic tents. People could have a place to get out of the sun and the rain. And, uh, and again, all that comes from your generosity. And you were able to help hundreds of families who are some of the most vulnerable families in the world right now in Ethiopia. So, man, that was an incredible blessing. I had so many people there say, Please thank your church for us. Tell them how amazing that is. Not only for the, the physical support, but I can't tell you how many people were amazed. Like, so there's some church in America that like knows about us over here and like they, they care and people there donated to like help us here. Like that was just mind-blowing to these people. And, uh, and that really speaks volumes because we were able to say, well, the reason they care is because God has changed their life. And they want to help uh, other people know the same God. And so it was an amazing opportunity. So I just want to say thank you again for that. And, uh, and finally, the last thing is I just, I'd love to ask you for, for prayer for, for our family and for the nation of Ethiopia. As I mentioned, there's all sorts of really difficult things going on right now. It's a very unstable situation. Um, even just this morning, I, I woke up and I'm always looking at the international news in the mornings and, and just seeing the, the war there is escalating, sadly, not getting better. And um, so it puts a lot of ministry and a lot of things um, 
in, in question. So we would really love your prayers for the nation of Ethiopia and for our ministry there, not just our family, but our organization. SIM is the name of our organization, and we have about 100 missionaries who are working all over the country and another couple hundred Ethiopian workers that we partner with. And so all of that is sort of up in the air because of this increasing instability from the war. So we'd really appreciate your prayers for that and, uh, and for our family. So Thank you again. Hey, if you want to ask more questions about Ethiopia, and again, I can show you pictures on my phone that are really cool. I was going to show you up there, but um, uh, we'd love to show you pictures or talk to you. Um, my wife, who is back there, can you wave? My beautiful wife, Katie. Um, our kids are up at Summerfest. Our, our oldest three and our youngest is back there terrorizing your seven-year-olds, but um, uh, we would love to talk with you. We have these little prayer cards that we can give you to remind you to, to pray for us as a, as a family. That would be great. So we'll be around after the service. We'd love to connect with you. But today, I'm not really here to talk mainly about Ethiopia. Uh, I'm here to uh, kick off this new teaching series we are doing in Alpine for the next several weeks uh, called Core Values, where what we're going to be doing are, are looking at the core values that, that undergird us as a church. It's what we're calling the series, How We Do What We Do. You see, the what of Alpine Church hopefully is pretty obvious because you see it everywhere. It is helping people pursue God. That's very simple. That's, that's our mission. It's been uh, our mission since 2005 when we came to Alpine Church. It's been the mission always. It's helping people pursue God. We want to help people who are either far from God and don't know God at all or people that have maybe been following God for years. We want to help you take that next step in your journey of faith, whatever that looks like. And so we are here to help people pursue God. And we have some specifics behind what that means and so forth as a church, our pursuit circle, you know that. But what we're talking about in this series is, is the core values that are sort of the, like I said, the foundation or the, the underpinning of that. It's what guides us. It's what provides the context for what we do. Now, I imagine some of you, when you hear that, okay, I'm going to a church and they're talking about church core values, like boring, like maybe you're thinking, is this kind of like insider baseball here? He's going to talk a bunch of shop up there. It's going to be something, you know, like I can go to like the gas station. They have their core values, you know, for Sinclair. I don't want really to hear about your company core values, whatever. But here's the, here's the good news. The core values that drive a church are really the same core values that should drive us as individuals. Because what we're doing together as, as a church is just as the body of Christ, us coming together, each little parts of the body of Christ. And so when you think about core values for a church, don't just think about, oh, this is them, those people, Alpine Church, and that's what their organization is doing. Really, core values that drive a church, first of all, that, that them, that's, that's us. The church is just simply a collection of, of believers. It's a family that comes together. And again, the things that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, these are not unique to, uh, to, to a corporate church body. These are the same things that should be our core values as individuals. And so uh, please know that, that what we're talking about today, and I'll try to bring that out, this is not just for the church as a whole in some organized religion sense. This is the same stuff that should be core values in your own life. And I would just encourage you, some people have, you know, thought about that. Some people have like a personal, you know, mission statement for their family or like a family vision statement. Some families have, these are the values for our family or for my life as an individual. If you don't have any of that, you don't have to like get a plaque and put it on the wall or anything. But I'd encourage you over these next uh, several weeks to think about these values we're going to talk about as adopting these for your own life. Seeing how they play out in your individual life and in your family, I think it would be very powerful. 
And so we're going to start off today with the value that really sets the stage for everything that we do at Alpine. It sets the stage. It, it prepares us for everything that's going to come here uh, for, for the rest of the series. And uh, I'm going to hold you in suspense. If I had a slide, I would show it to you, but I'm going to hold you in suspense instead. But let me just start by saying this. Some of you might remember, if you've been around for a long time and heard my sermons, one of my favorite things to talk about is boats. And that's because before I was a pastor, before I was a missionary, I was a ship captain. I know it's a very logical progression in, in a career. But uh, yeah, so I used to be a, a boat captain. I grew up on the water and spent a lot of time on ships and, and still love it. Um, I don't get to spend any time on ships anymore. The closest um, you know, ocean town to where we live is Mogadishu, um, which if you're familiar with the, the, that part of the world, it's not like a place you want to go for vacation. You can Google that if you're not sure. But uh, it, it's, uh, So I don't get to spend a lot of time on the water these days, but I was thinking about this when I was remembering, I've been on hundreds, I don't know, thousands of different boats and ships throughout my life, and visiting friends' boats, working on all kinds of different boats. And here's what I ha have noticed. In any boat you ever go on, any boat that, you know, I, I won't say this counts for like boats that just hang out on Pineview, but like real boats, they're actually going someplace. Like they all have one thing on every vessel. It actually has any intention of going anywhere. They always have a compass right near where the, the guy drives the boat. Now, when you go onto a, a newer boat or a fancy boat these days, whether it is you know, a sport fishing boat or a fancy private yacht or a commercial fishing boat or an ocean liner cruise, you're going to walk into the, the bank of fancy electronics. There'll be all these different screens, and there is integrated ra radar, and there is GPS, and there's this thing called forward-looking infrared, and there's all these fancy navigational things, and there's all this stuff that goes on there. But always in the middle of all that, there is always a compass. And if you talk to any captain who's worth his salt, uh, he'll say, oh yeah, all this stuff is great. It's, it's fun having all these screens and these autopilots and these chart plotters, all this stuff. But none of that is as important as that compass. Because what's happening this morning happens on boats too. Computers die all the time. GPS glitches. Things happen all the time. But the compass never fails. It's just an old school thing. It just sits there and it does one thing. It always points north. And when everything else fails, the compass always points north. And in our lives as believers, we have that same thing. There's all sorts of other things in life that can provide guidance and direction. And some of it's good and sometimes it lets us down. But there is one thing in this life that will always lead us, that will always guide us, that will always point us toward God's truth, and that is the Bible. And so our first core value as a church is that we look to God's word in everything we do. In all things, the Bible is our guide. First and foremost, in everything, we look to God in his word to lead us and to guide us. Now, again, hopefully that isn't like, oh, really? That's where they get all this stuff from? Like, hopefully we know this, but this is really important to talk about. And I, I hopefully, if you are a follower of Christ, hopefully you know that in your life as well. But I want to talk about today about some of the implications of that and what that, that really means and how that plays out in our life. Because we really believe, and I hope you do as well, that the Bible is not some ordinary book. 
The Bible is not designed to put sort of inspirational wall art, you know, in your house. It's not designed to be an interesting textbook from history. It is the uniquely inspired word of God, unlike any other book in history. Theologians use all sorts of fancy words to describe the uniqueness of the Bible. They'll talk about how uh, the, the, the inerrancy of the Bible. That means the Bible is without any errors. They talk about the infallibility of the Bible, which means it doesn't even have the possibility of making errors. We talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, which means that the Scripture has everything we need uh, for life and godliness. We talk about the perpiscuity of Scripture. I know it's a big fun word there. The perpiscuity of Scripture. That means that the Scripture is clear and understandable. Leave it to theologians to use like the weirdest, hardest word possible to mean clear and understandable. And there's a little irony there. But, but that's what it means. That the Bible is not some mysterious thing that you need smoke and mirrors to understand. It is, it is clear. It guides us. You see, the Bible is a powerful gift to us from God. You see, God created us and he wanted us to be in relationship with him, right? And so it wouldn't make sense for God to say, well, good luck figuring me out. God wants us to know him and so he's provided us a way to know him and that is his word. He's revealed himself in scripture so that we can know about him, so that we can know how to relate to him. So it only makes sense that God has given us his word. Now, I recognize there are a lot of other books out there that various religious groups claim to follow. You know, I live in a part of the world where it's predominantly Muslim in Ethiopia. And so everyone over there follows the Quran of Islam. They believe it is a sacred book. Uh, Other parts of the world uh, follow different things. You have the the sutras of Buddhism. You have the Vedas of of Hinduism. You have the Book of Mormon. You have the, the Avestas. Uh, of of, of, uh, Zoroastrianism in Iran. You have all these different types of religious books that are out there. And so why do we place such a high value on the Bible? Why do we not follow those other ones but follow the Bible as uniquely from God? What is so special about the Bible? Now that is a whole other sermon in and of itself that I wish I had time to get into, because there is so much to talk about. But man, we just don't have time to talk about all that. But we, we could look at all of the, the archaeological evidence for the Bible, all the historical evidence for the Bible. You could look at all the, the manuscript evidence that, that verifies the truth of Scripture. You could look at the, the fulfilled prophecy that comes out of Scripture. You could look at the, the unique unity that's found in the Bible, unlike any other book in history. You could look at the way the Bible has been uh, preserved throughout history. There's all of this evidence you could look at to show why the Bible is unique. You could look at the internal evidence for the Bible, how it attests to it being from God. Again, this unique consistency in the Bible. You could look at how the Bible has uniquely changed lives throughout history. No other book has had the influence that the Bible has. Not just for a short period of time, but over thousands of years, God's Word has been changing individuals and nations and histories and cultures because it is uniquely powerful. Again, I wish we had more time to look at all that. I encourage you to check out uh, Pursue God, our resource website. There's all kinds of great stuff there to learn about that. But this morning, we're just going to go from that assumption that the Bible really is uniquely God's word. And again, if, if you're not sure you're convinced of that, come talk to us. Talk to a, a leader, a mentor here. Check out Pursue God. There's all sorts of evidence for that. But we just don't have time to explain all that today. But if we're going with the assumption that the Bible is from God, again, that has some very powerful implications in our lives. 
And that's what I want to look at, just a few of these, these implications about what God's word really means for us. Now, to, to get at that, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture today and just sort of unpack it and see what God says. And so if you have a Bible today, you're really going to have to work at it because you can't just look up on the screen. So if you have a paper Bible or a Bible app, let me encourage you to open up to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I'll read it to you here as well and just picture it in big script behind me if it wasn't there. So here is what it says. Uh, this is God's word. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen? So let's just kind of, uh, again, picture that verse and kind of just break it down bit by bit. It starts off and it says, all scripture is, is inspired by God. So what does he mean, all scripture? Well, that word in, in the Bible, it always has a very technical meaning behind it. It means the words of the Old and New Testament. So it's not referring to anything else but the Old and the New Testament, and it means all of the Old and the New Testament. The word scripture is used to describe the prophets of the Old Testament, the teaching of Moses. It's used to describe the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. It's used to describe the teaching of the other apostles. And so it refers to the complete canon of the Old and the New Testament. So when he says all scripture, we're just talking about the Bible. And he says it is inspired by God. That's the next word there, inspired by God. And literally what that means is it is the breath of God. In the original language of the Bible, it's Greek, and it's a Greek compound word, which is theopneustos. That's the word inspired them. Thea for God, and neustos, which means the breath of. And so literally it says that all scripture, it is the breath of God. That's what it is for us. So it is, again, not some ordinary book. It is uniquely given to us by God. In the book of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter describes this as well. He says this, uh, starting in verse 20. He says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved along by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And so again, it's describing Scripture, and he says, you got to understand what's written in Scripture. This didn't come from any man. This didn't come from any human initiative. Yes, there were these prophets and these teachers who wrote down Scripture, but they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's as if that they, they, God used you know, human agency to write it down, but God was moving them, filling their hearts and their minds with his truth as they wrote down his word. And so the Bible is uniquely from God. So what does that mean? So the verse goes on and says, therefore, it is useful. And maybe that's kind of an, an obvious statement or an understatement, right? But yeah, because we have this, this book that comes from God himself, it has a purpose. It is useful. It is profitable. It has value in our lives. I mean, that's kind of like, well, duh. I mean, imagine if you were like, uh, if you were a young aspiring basketball player and you had the opportunity where Michael Jordan came to your house and said, hey, I want to show you a few tips on how to play ball. Now, we all know, sorry, LeBron James fans, Michael Jordan's like the greatest player in history, 
Can I get an amen out there, right? So amazing, Michael Jordan. And if I'm like a, a young wannabe basketball player and Jordan is there, like giving me instruction and guidance, I'd be like, mm, no thanks, MJ, I got it. I think I'm good, right? But that's what we do when we say, God, I don't really have time for your word. I know that you've come to me and, and, and you want to give me your teaching and man, it's valuable, but eh, I've got, you know, TV to watch. That's what it's like. So the Bible is, it's a gift from God. It is incredibly valuable, it says. So, again, look back at the verse. Uh, God's word is useful to do what? First, it says to teach us. God's word is valuable to teach us. God's word is what shows us what is true in life. It shows us what is true about uh, uh, theology and doctrine and, and not just spiritual life, every aspect of our life. It guides us into the truth. It teaches us truth about life. Now, firstly, what it does is it shows us how we can be in a relationship with God. In fact, if you have a Bible, I'd, I'd encourage you to look up just in verse 15, right above we're reading in verse 16, but in verse 15, kind of the, the preamble to this passage on the Bible, it says this. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this to Timothy. He says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. You see, the first thing the Bible does is it, it leads us to find salvation from Christ. The Bible highlights that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And so the Bible leads us to salvation, but it doesn't just end there. The Bible isn't just meant to get you saved. It's meant to guide all of your life. And so it goes on, and it says this in the verse. It says it helps us, it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And so the Bible convicts us. It, it highlights our blind spots. It shows us where we've deluded ourselves. It shows us where we've gotten off, off track. And we all have those blind spots. And God's word has a powerful way of, of highlighting that in our life. And it also shows us what to do. It teaches us to do what is right. So we don't have to guess. We don't have to make up, gosh, I wonder what God wants here. We can just look to his word and we see it. And finally, it says, and God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work, to prepare us for a life that honors God. The Bible leads us to, to lead a life that produces righteousness in our lives. The more we read it, the, the more we grow uh, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, those things that grow out of God at work in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all that stuff. It, it, it grows in our life when we're in his word. We are supposed to follow the example of Christ. Well, how do we know his example without reading his word? But the more we see Christ in there, the more it fills us with his truth and the more it changes our lives. And so the Bible is God's unique gift to us. It guides us into truth. It shows us how to live our lives in a way that brings us deep joy and brings him great glory. That is God's word to us. And so that is why core value number one at Alpine Church is that we look to the Bible in everything we do. So now let's begin to think about that. So what does that really mean for us? Okay, so got it. Bible's really important. Check. I should read it. But, but what is that really? What are some of the implications for that in our lives? Well, here's some statements I want you to think about. That again, just imagine them being written on the screen. It's much more interesting. But just listen very carefully. It says this. Here's, here's the first statement about the implication for it. Uh, for our church and hopefully for you as an individual. 
So we hold a biblical worldview evaluating God's truth above our own opinions or the trends of our culture. Let me say that again. We hold a biblical worldview elevating God's truth above our own opinions or the trends of this culture. And we recognize that this will become more radical with each new generation. So it says we hold this, this worldview, a worldview, if you're not familiar with that term, it's just, it's like the grid through which you view all of life. It's like if you have glasses on, it's the glasses through which you see life. And those glasses may have a certain tint to them or something, you know, and it, it, it gives us the way we look at life. <clears throat> and we believe that because the Bible is from God's word, we should view life through the grid, through the lens of Scripture, it's the only reliable thing because everything else, again, like in a pilot house, GPS can go down, radar can go down, but God's word is always there. And so it makes sense that we look at life through his word. So we have a biblical worldview. And what that means is because this worldview comes from God and his word, we value that higher than not only our own opinion, but whatever's trendy in the world today. Whatever the pop culture in this world is trying to say is true about life. So the Bible gives us the framework for life, and we look to it in everything. We look to the Bible first and foremost for everything in life. It's like the, uh, the owner's manual for life. I was thinking about this. I remember, I remember as a kid making fun of my dad because in his little office in our house, he had this filing cabinet. And this filing cabinet, it was full of every owner's manual going back to like the 60s. Your dad do this too? So like every toaster, electric shaver, hedge trimmer, VCR. Kids, you can ask your parents what a VCR is. But, you know, every one of those things <clears throat> was tucked away in a filing cabinet. And we used to always, Dad, why do you have all that stuff? And the funny part was half it we didn't, didn't even have anymore. But, but every once in a while, we would need it. And my dad would take great pleasure in going to his filing cabinet and bringing out, you know, his uh, Norelco shaver thing and, like, showing us, see, this is what I need to do. Like, that really gave him a lot of joy. I think the same thing is true in God's Word. We have the owner's manual for life. God created us. He created the way life works best. And he said, so here's how you should live. And so we should be incredibly uh, uh, recognize the value that we have when we look to God's Word. And it would be foolish to elevate our own opinions over what it says in the Bible. So imagine if you have your car and it comes with an owner's manual and you bought a gasoline car, but you go to the gas station and you decide, well... I want to put in diesel this time instead. That's kind of fun. The you know, letters are green on the board. I've always wanted to try that once. I'm going to stick in diesel in this thing because I just like the way that feels to me. Well, go for that. You'll know, see how that works out for you. You know, but that's what we do in our culture. God says, I've designed life to work this way. Here's the manual that tells you what it is. And we say, no, God, I think I know better. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And then we wonder why stuff in life leads to pain and chaos. You see, God has given us his word to guide us, and so we trust that over ourselves. And again, we recognize that over time, increasingly, this is going to put us more and more at odds with the culture around us. This doesn't mean that we should be jerks and, and just go around saying, yeah, we're, we're Christians, and so we're weird, and we're mean. You know, that doesn't mean that, but it means we should be okay with recognizing that Christianity is going to be counter-cultural. It always has been. 
I hate to, if you're kind of new to Christianity or checking Christianity out, just so you know, it has always been counterculture. I know we live in a place here where it's kind of like the norm, like Christianity doesn't seem that weird. But when you go around the rest of the world and throughout history, Christianity has always been countercultural, starting with Jesus, who was incredibly, he was a rebel. He said all sorts of radical countercultural things. In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he said these wacky things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who, who, who greet. Like, what does that even mean? Later on, he says, well, you've heard that it was said, dot, 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 but I tell you. Jesus says, you've heard that this was said, and what he means is, here's what culture says, but let me tell you what the truth is. See, Jesus has always done this. He has always stood out. And whenever Christianity conforms to the culture, it always to be weird. Willing not to conform to this world, but to stand out, it thrives. And God uses that. In the early church, a really powerful example of that is that it was really common in the early Roman days in the Roman Empire that if you had a baby and you didn't like the gender of that baby or you just decided you didn't want it, you would just take that baby out into the woods and let it die. It was sort of like, how can we let this happen? This is crazy. God, God loves these children. So what Christians started to do was go into the woods and rescue these babies. And it was radical. And everyone said, you Christians are nuts. But over time, those Christians that faithfully did that, it shamed that culture. And it showed them that they valued life. And eventually they had a radical transformation in the life of that Roman culture because they were willing not just to go along with everyone else. Oh, it's fine to kill babies, no big deal. They stood up and it made them look weird, but they stood for that truth and God used that in a powerful way. And all throughout history, there's been different issues where the church, where God's word stands apart from the culture. Today, just think about it. You don't have to think that hard to imagine where God's truth might butt up against our culture. Think about the issue of gender and sexuality in our world today. Bible says very clearly, God created man and woman as distinct and created sex as a gift to be experienced in the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife, period. Anything outside of that, the Bible says, is not God's will. It's not what God has designed life for. And yet, obviously, we know in this world today, that sounds crazy. That sounds like antiquated and old fuddy-duddy stuff. Like, I can't believe you hold that ancient, you know, uh, patriarchal, hierarchical view of marriage. But that's what God's word says. So we as Christians say, well, what are we going to stand for? What the, the culture is constantly trying to tell me is right about this stuff, or am I going to trust in God's word? There's many other issues. You could look, the Bible says uh, very clearly that we are called to love and care for people like the poor and the marginalized. Widows and orphans, uh, the, the immigrant, the Bible says very clearly, we are called to care for the immigrant. And so we have to ask a question to ourselves. Am I going to let my selfishness or my politics lead me when it comes to what the Bible says about how I should care for the poor and the helpless and the immigrant? Or am I going to let God's word lead me and guide me? See, Christianity, it butts up against our culture. There's many other things we could talk about. And in so many ways, God's word, it might feel at times like this is like antiquated and, and it seems so crazy, but that's why we as a church, we don't get carried along by every trendy thing because it's going to be a new thing in five years, another thing in five years after that. So we put our faith and our trust in God and his unchanging word over our ever-changing culture. Again, it doesn't mean we're jerks about it. We want to be kind and loving and winsome, but we don't compromise on God's truth. 
So that's one thing. Here's the next thing. It says, uh, we, we believe this. So we submit to the Bible as an authoritative, as the authoritative voice in our everyday lives. We recognize that true believers must come to God on his terms, not their own. So basically it says, we submit to God. Now, talk about an unpopular word in our culture today. It's the word submit. Nobody likes the idea of submitting, especially as Americans. We like to have our independence. I don't want to submit to anyone. But it's this word that's used all throughout the Bible. The Bible says in, in many different places that the church is called to submit to Christ. The Bible says that we are called to submit to one another. The Bible says the husbands or wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. It says that citizens are supposed to submit to their governing authorities. Now, those are some loaded statements there. We don't have time to get into all that. There's a lot, a lot about work that needs to be done and understanding what all means and doesn't mean. But at its core, here's what submission means. Submission means being willing to let someone else lead. I'm willing to sit under someone else's leadership and go along with that. And that's what we are called to do as Christians. In our lives, we let God take the lead, and we submit to God by submitting to his word. We believe that he is the ultimate authority in our lives. Now listen carefully. This church is not your ultimate spiritual authority. The pastors that get up here, they're not your ultimate spiritual authority. God is. The only authority that churches and pastors and leaders have is the authority when we are standing under God's word, when we are teaching God's word. So don't listen to anyone that says, well, God's word's over here, but let me tell you my idea. And I'm the pastor, so you need to listen to me. No, don't ever just listen to whoever stands up here. Listen to what they say and evaluate it by whether or not they are teaching God's word. And if they are teaching God's word, then, then you can rest that they are operating under the structure that God has ordained. But they are not, if they're not teaching God's word, then ignore them. Because God's word is the authority. And we have to come to God on his terms, not our own. We don't get to create the terms of, how, uh, of what God is like. I hear this all the time from people. Well, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with him. Do you know how nuts that sounds? People always say it thinking like it's a really powerful argument. But that's crazy. Like, God is God. He's the creator. You're the created. I don't care what you think about his opinion. He's right and you're wrong. It's just how life works. And so we don't get to come to God and say, well, here's how I think you should deal with this or that. We come to God on his terms, not our own. And finally, the last thing is this, is we commit to a personal pursuit of God through his word, not just an intellectual pursuit. We recognize that even the Bible can become an idol if it's not handled correctly. You see, as, as central and foundational as the Bible is, we know that knowing the Bible is not an end in and of itself. The goal of the Christian life isn't to know lots of Bible facts and to know all the Bible stories. The goal is to know God and to honor him with your life. And that's what the Bible does. It points us toward him. So the, the purpose of the Bible is not just information. It is transformation. Now, that transformation begins by getting to know the information in the Bible. You can't know him apart from the Bible. But as you know him, don't let it just become some you know, interesting set of facts you've got in your mind. The purpose of God's word is to change our lives, to transform us. You know, I was thinking about that. I remember when I was dating my wife, when we first got to know each other, we were in our, our later 20s when we started dating, and uh, our, our first date, my wife would tell you, it was not romantic at all. Our first date was we sat there, and it was like a job interview on both ends. We both just started asking each other questions, like, we're, we're too old to be playing all these little games of flirting and stuff. I'm just like, so what do you think about this? What do you think about that? She's asked me the same things. It was very much very information transfer, you know, kind of a thing. And it was helpful. And we did that for a while. And then over time, the more I got to learn this information about my wife, 
my heart was, was drawn to her. And the more I was drawn to her, the more I wanted to know about her. And the more I knew about her, the more my heart was drawn to her. And it started this cycle that led to our marriage. And that same thing is true with God. Your relationship with God usually will start with learning the facts and figures about him from his word. But it can't just end there of just like, oh, interesting. That's an interesting story about Assyria. No, now as I learn about God, hopefully your heart will be drawn to him. And the more your heart is drawn to him, the more you're going to want to learn about him in his word. And it leads to this cycle of growth and maturity. That's what God wants for us. And all that happens through his word. And so that is why we encourage you to get in God's word. That's why this core value is so important, not just for the church, but for your lives. Don't neglect this incredible gift that God has given you. Take the time. It is worth it. I promise it will change your life. If you're not sure, well, what do I, okay, I want to read the Bible. What do I do? How do I even begin? Just start someplace and just begin reading. But let me encourage you, go to, go to Pursue God, again, our website, and there's all sorts of great resources there to help you uh, get in Bible reading plans, learn how to study the Bible. Check that out because it's so important. Now, I can tell you, even though I'm, I'm not a pastor here at Alpine anymore, uh, I still love this core value, and it's still central to my life and to our, our ministry. Now, I, I work as a missionary now, and I can tell you that the Word of God is central to the work of any good missionary. The whole point of what we're trying to do there is get out there and not just share our opinions, but we are trying to share God's Word. You know, one of the main ministries I work with, it's called Barnabas. And what we do in Barnabas is we work in the, the Muslim communities of Ethiopia. We go to these Muslim-dominated areas, and we, we find the few Christians that are usually in those areas... And we do two things. We try to teach them to first love their Muslim neighbors, and then we teach them the most powerful way to share the truth with them is just read God's word. That's our radical missionary strategy. Teach people to love and read the Bible with other people. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated, but that's, it's really hard to actually do that. But as people do that, as people uh, invite their Muslim neighbors into relationship and they invite them simply to read God's word with them, God shows up in amazingly powerful ways and changes lives. It changes whole communities. And it's not the word of the missionary or the word of that person. It's the word of God that changes hearts. You know, one of the things that we do as a ministry is, because so many people in these areas where we operate, they, they can't read uh, themselves, but they can listen. And so we hand out these little, the micro SD cards that have the Bible on them, and they all can stick them in their little phones, and they can listen to God's Word. And we have heard story after story after story of people listening to God's Word, and it radically changes their life. Just in the last few months, here's some of the stories I've heard. I was talking to a guy, one of the people that came to one of our trainings, and he got one of these little micro SD cards, and, and he was on a long a taxi ride throughout Ethiopia, these, these little buses that are packed with tons of people, and uh, the, the radio wasn't working, so he said, hey, can I plug in my phone? We can listen to this. And so he plugs in his phone and starts playing the Bible, and he said, instantly, everyone on the bus got quiet, and for like six hours, they were just listening to the New Testament. And everyone was, was listening. And this guy, he said he got to a city, and so he said thanks, and he gets off the bus, and he said three people followed him off the bus. It wasn't their stop, but they said, we want to know more about this. Can you tell us? And two of those people right there on the side of the road became Christians, became followers of Christ, simply just from listening to God's word. Another story is a, a gal came to uh, one of our trainings, and she, again, got one of these cards, and, and she went home, and she comes from a Muslim family, and she was just playing it in the background. And her father, who was a devout Muslim man, heard it. He came to her and he said, what is this you're listening to? And she said, it's the Bible. And he said, 
well, I want to listen a little bit more. And he started listening, and what had happened is that guy had left his wife, and he was listening to Matthew chapter 5 when it talked about uh, not wanting to, you shouldn't leave your wife. And so he listened, and he said, I want to know, what, is, what does Jesus say? And that ultimately led to that man not only reconciling with his wife, but he also became a Christian. Finally, the last story, because we're out of time here, but last story, there's a, one of these guys we know, a guy named Shafi, and he is a former Muslim sheikh, which is like a Muslim teacher, and uh, because of his influence, now that he's a follower of Jesus, he still has good relationships with the, with the mosque leaders in his community, and so he went to the mosque leader. If you've ever seen a mosque, they have those big towers, and in other parts of the world, they, they have these loudspeakers at the top. They don't do it in America, I don't think, but they have these loudspeakers, and they, they play out the morning call to prayer and different things, and in Ethiopia, they play preaching throughout the day. Well, Shafi decided to go to talk to the guy and said, hey, could I, could I play the Bible in the minaret, the, the loudspeaker? And the guy said, okay. And so for two months, they listened to the entire Bible from the loudspeakers at the mosque. And what happened was people started to listen and people started gathering in groups in the mosque courtyard and listening. And dozens of people became followers of Jesus simply through listening to God's word being broadcast over the mosque speakers. You see, God's word is powerful. It will change lives. And we have that opportunity for us right now. We don't have all the barriers that people in Ethiopia have. You can open up your Bible. You can open up version anytime you want and read God's word. And let me just encourage you to do that because it will change your life. And when you don't, you will miss out. Let me end with this. I, I started by talking about the, the whole compass thing. You know, back in the days of pirates, if they were particularly cruel pirates and really wanted to uh, not just attack a ship, but doom the whole crew to death, what they would do after they took all the goods off the ship is they would take a sword and they would smash the compass. And then they would leave. And everyone knew that meant that ship, they were all doomed to die at sea. You see, if we ignore God's word, we are smashing the compass in our life and it dooms us. But if we look to God's word and we believe it is from him and we live our lives around it, it will change us. Let me encourage you, if you've not ever done that, if you have questions, you don't even know how to begin a relationship with God, talk to Pastor Joel, talk to the elders here, talk to any one of the leaders here. We would love to explain to you how you can begin to dig in God's word and discover his truth and how it can change your life.